What's going on here? Former Patriot, Super Bowl 51 champ, Juno Grissom here. Uh, and you're listening to Boston's Big Three presented by Ride the Wave Media. All right, everybody, what's up? Episode 65 of Boston's Big Three presented by Ride the Wave Media. Today, we are sponsored by Skyline Chili. Skyline Chili is the finest chili that you will get out in Ohio. Guess where in Ohio? Cincinnati, Ohio. You know what about Cincinnati, Ohio? Guess who we have on today's show? We have TJ Huzmanzada, former Cincinnati Bengal. So you know what? After you win a playoff game, which they have never won a playoff game in the last 25 years, you can go out to uh, get yourself some Skyline Chili. I was actually out at Skyline Chili when I saw the Pats versus Bengals this past year. It was actually really great. If you guys are looking for a place to go out in the Midwest, you check out Skyline Chili. Uh, TJ Huzmanzada is obviously coming on today's show. It's a 27-minute interview with him that will be put on later today. Talks about his time with Chad Ochocinco in Oregon State and his time with him in the Cincinnati Bengals. And uh, talks about a little bit about Joe Burrow. And uh, we talk about what's going on, too. Racism in America, racism in NFL. And TJ was upfront, straight, and honest with us. And I think this was honesty. And I'm telling everybody that's listening and that's watching, that was the best interview we've ever had. We've had great interviews like Pat Fryermuth and Ty Law. And I'm sorry to put you guys down, but TJ was, was a straight deal. And I thought that was awesome for the 27 minutes that we got to have him. And we hope to have TJ coming forward. But today's episode, we have Joe Stafford, of course, which shout out to him. He got TJ to come on today's show. We got Brendan Watabi, and I want to throw this right to Brendan Watabi right away. You said baseball is back. Babs said into your face over here across the country that baseball is not back. I don't believe baseball is back. And Brendan, I'm going to throw you. Have you been on the internet lately? I have been on the internet. Let me tell you something. The Red Sox don't have any starting pitches. This is the worst starting rotation for the Boston Red Sox in the last 25 years. I want you to talk about this. Baseball's back. You should be excited. I know you're excited. I'm so excited. And yet, how many games have you have you should have been already at? Uh, this, uh, about two dozen months? so far that I've missed. And uh, I've gotten some of my money back. And so I, I've got a short list of the organizations that have wronged me and, and kept my money Um the Red Sox aren't on that list, thank God. But one of the, one of those teams is the Seattle Mariners. But yeah, I've missed a few games because of this whole virus situation. It sucks. Watabi, catch us up on baseball. Sell me why I should be invested in watching baseball. Well, you should be invested in watching baseball because it is America's sport. Like, yes, football and basketball have taken kind of over the limelight and center stage. But baseball will always be like the foundational sport to America and one of the sports that that made it fun to be like a fan in in the United States. Uh, Baseball is coming back. The Red Sox actually played today their first uh, intra-squad game. So it was just a game between the Red Sox players versus other Red Sox players because that's all you can really do at this point before the season actually gets underway in about two, three weeks, which is going to be a lot of fun. Red Sox announced two games, two uh, like scrimmage games to get ready. Basically, the only real spring training games they'll play that aren't even going to be considered spring training games just against the Toronto Blue Jays. And that those will be like to... Just get both teams ready for the 60-game season that's starting at the end of the month. Um, and it should be – it's not going to be a very exciting season, I mean, for Red Sox fans because you got one starting pitcher, basically, if Eduardo Rodriguez stays out with Corona. And you have Nathan Avaldi, who has not been consistent since Game 3 of the World Series. So we'll see what happens. 
I did like seeing today that 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 was sent in our chat about Jason Veritek as the umpire. Jason Veritek. Just Jason Veritek. That I'm sure baseball. Another thing I saw. This was from TikTok. RIP TikTok. They're gonna be gone pretty soon. Is having the point of view from a catcher. I hope that the baseball, if they have the 60 games, right? I hope that they can start playing around with different cameras, different views, different things that they can mix in. And again, we've talked about this so many times on this podcast. This is the time to fuck around with the pitch clock. This is the time to. You know how they're doing the extra innings. We're putting a man on second. Maybe they like that enough that it carries over to next season. This is the time to start screwing around with baseball totally. and seeing what works and doesn't work. That's why it's it is exciting to see kind of the rule changes that they're putting in place just for this season alone. Like, granted, some of these rule changes may be really effective, but they may not be in the 2021 season, especially like the one you just said, having a having a base runner on second base for extra innings. We saw how successful that was kind of during that Red Sox uh, Royals game that was a resumption of play after a game got called in extra innings. Uh, but that was a ton of fun like that. No one will forget that Brock Holt walk off. It was so fun. Well, they say history repeats itself and history changes. I know America it's America's pastimes, the oldest game out there in America. This is the time to change everything because you're willing to do it and fans are willing to accept it. They're just saying, I want baseball, I want sports, we'll do whatever it takes. And this is the time baseball yeah. should do it. And they can save a lot of face if they can get the entire season out there. They, they, they don't have a lot of face left to save. They just need to get <laughs> people watching and people to care again. Because, like, granted, fans may not accept everything that's going to be changed about it in general. There's also You're also going to lose on tens of millions of fans that won't be at the games. Now, you're out in Arizona, right? So yeah. how close are you to the Diamondbacks facility out um, there? About half an hour away from it. Now, are you willing to go out there? I don't Please. know what the bar is open situation is, restaurants around the area. Are you going to go out there for the opening day for the Diamondbacks? Are you? I know you're obviously not a Diamondbacks fan, but are you going to try to go out there and try to be part of an atmosphere? Is there going to be see. an atmosphere? I think, okay, so opening day is... I'm pretty confident it's on – I'm going to look at a calendar here just to make sure that I am correct because I want to be correct in everything I say baseball-related so I still have credibility on this show. But I'm pretty sure 24th is opening day of baseball, and I'm actually flying to another baseball city on that Saturday. So I'll try to be part of the festivities two days in a row, maybe in two different cities. We'll see what happens. But uh, I'm going to let us know. Are you going to give us a spoiler? <laughs> Oh, we'll, we'll just see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere for uh, the opening series of baseball. I was talking to GRD earlier this morning, uh, whatever day you're listening to is maybe a few days ago, maybe this morning, who knows. And we were talking about the Sox opening day, Lansdowne Street. That place is going to be popping. Whether you have 50% exactly. capacity, you're going to want to be out there. You're going to want to enjoy mm -hmm. that with the fans. Even someone like me, like I might just go out there the first game because I just want to see what the atmosphere totally. is like. And I'm just very interested. Joe, do you have anything to say with about this? Oh, hey, Joe. Oh, yeah. I'm here too. Yeah, you guys didn't know. Uh, well, it's all fun and games until UFC takes over MLB in the next couple of years. So that's all I got to say. Mike drop. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, do, I got no comeback. If, if this, so, Brendan, so we've kind of said like Arado Rodriguez, I'm not going to say that right, but he's probably not, he's not, he's not starting. He's not going to be the starting pitcher. And they said that this is going to be like one of the worst starting rotations. 60 game season. How many games are you picking for the Red Sox to win? Realistically, they win 30 of the 60 games. That's so that's 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 looking uphill right now. But like that that will be an uphill climb to even get there. Like the best teams in baseball, um, this like in general in general, 
through history, the best teams in baseball always lose 60 games a year. So it's going to be really interesting to see the, the new ratio. So I'm, I'm picturing like the best teams in baseball to be winning between 45 and maybe even 50 plus games this year. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong. And also add on top of this, David Price and Mookie Betts are not playing this season. David Price is not playing this season. He's opted out of his, out of his, or not even, not his contract, opted out of playing this season because that's just an option players have at this point uh, in time. So Mookie Betts, I'm, I haven't heard anything about him. I'm pretty pretty confident he will be playing um, in L.A. considering they only get 60 games with him before he finds a new home. Probably the New York Mets from what I'm what I'm seeing on the, the Twitter sphere if, uh, if a deal goes through. But back to the original point, um, David Price will not be playing this season and that saves the Red Sox some money because the Red Sox salary has been a big topic of discussion the last year, and it's the only reason that Mookie Betts and David Price are in L.A. in the first place. So it's saving the Red Sox, I think, $6 million this year that they'll be able to use in the future. So it's a good thing. I, have, I do have one thing to say about this stuff for baseball specifically. Obviously, I'm not a baseball guy. I'm a football guy. We all know this by now. But 60-game season, really for any sport, when you have a kind of reduced season, when you have these hot and cold streaks that really drive the playoff picture, mm-hmm. when there's less games, you go into a losing rut, like that can really affect you from going yeah. maybe first to literally worst in a matter of five to six games. And yeah. that's really what we're going to see here. It's going to be very experimental like we were talking about. Maybe they experiment with some new rules and stuff. Maybe they don't. But the bottom line is this is an unbelievably unprecedented season. We're not going to see what's going to happen. It's going to be wanna... interesting with statistics too because you're going to have stats that are just out of this world. Like um, you, People have taken the statistics from like 60-game stretches of players throughout baseball and seen like, who, who stacks up against who, and like guys like Cody Bellinger, who just won the National League MVP, had stretches of 60 games where they bat like 450. Like, that's insane. Like, you're going to have these numbers that are just going to explode this year. I want to piggyback on Stafford right there, Brendan, and I kind of want to throw this your way too. Let's say, for an example, the Philadelphia Phillies start out on a seven-game losing streak. Bryce that's Harper bad. might be like, <laughs> Bryce Harper might just be like, you know what, I'm off, I'm done. I'm not even going to try anymore. Do you think that you might see that throughout the league where those teams that go on those losing streaks, five or six games, and they're like, dude, there's no way we're catching up. Like, there's a shortened season. I'm backing out right away. I may, I, I think that's a good point, um, especially in the, the atmosphere of sports right now. I think it's more likely you see that in the basketball situation because they actually are in a bubble where baseball players aren't going to be restricted to a bubble. They're still playing in their respective ballparks still playing a game that they love. I don't think you'll see it. I don't think it'll make a lot of new, like splashes in the headlines if it does happen. I do think it will happen in the the National Basketball Association simply because like those guys are being isolated. Like they're with like every single basketball player in the world in the in the country in the NBA is going to be in Orlando unless they've opted out. And I think if you see teams that are like definitely not going to finish in that whatever the playoff structure looks like for them, you'll see them opt out, but MLB, I don't think it'll, you'll see it as much. Any last thoughts, Brendan, about the baseball season coming up? I'm excited. I think, I think Ira does get healthy. I think once, once he passes with the, the Corona, he's going to have a great season. I think he'll be, I don't know what Nathan Avaldi's going to do. He's really a wild card at this point, but I think Erod's going to have a career year as long as he can get onto the mound. All I know is that at MLB Hot Corner, we'll be making a little comeback. I'm excited to see your highlights. And to be honest, I've said this numerous times when you guys had Sox and four. I am not, I'm a casual fan. I grew up as a Red Sox fan. And I follow MLB Hot Corner because that's where I'm going to get all my news and sources for the Red Sox. Switching this over to football, Joe Stafford. We had the ability today to talk to TJ Huzmanzada. You know what? 
for the fans at home, tell us about TJ. Talk a little bit about TJ. Give us a little history about him heading Spell into Spell his name. Oh, I actually will. Let me see if I can do that. <laughs> H-O-U-S-H-M-A-N-Z-A-D-E-H. I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm like Take 100% sure that's right. I yeah, we're taking it to the bank. Anyway. Spell it backwards. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is a sobriety test. Jay the, Pats fans Jay the Pats fan wanted it. All right, go ahead, Zach. Yeah. All right, so TJ Hushmanzada, uh, great guy, first of all. I want to thank him again for coming on the show. Um, small school guy, Oregon State with Chad Johnson uh, from California originally. Um, great high school career. Goes into college kind of underrated. Didn't play a whole lot. I only had one full season as a starter. Uh, but granted, he balled out that one year. Dropped in the seventh round by the Cincinnati Bengals, which is a whole different depressing uh issue goes in Cincinnati football has been you know as I said on the show you'll find out later he kind of got a little bit kind of mad at me for it but they're not a good football organization they're not good at football historically there's not good so he walks in there with Chad Johnson his college teammate and they kind of turn things around they had Carson Palmer and they really become a big three fours in that AFC North for a stretch of seven to eight years and they were a very dominant offense centered around both him and Chad Ochocinco and then eventually the time comes where he becomes a free agent and he gets that bag. He gets $40 plus million from the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he lasts about one year there because of some you know, disputes and everything. He ends up going to Baltimore, actually has a great season in Baltimore, ends with kind of a tragic uh, divisional loss against Pittsburgh, ends up going to the Raiders for his final season and retires. He becomes an FS1 sports analyst. Uh, and he's known for his unfiltered, uh, you know, opinions like he doesn't hold back he's not a pc guy and that's what you kind of need and it was kind of great for our podcast to have him on like that uh he was completely honest with us it was a great flow great guy and we'll have him back soon now, correct me if i'm wrong he's the guy that said the patriots want to win a playoff game right oh we talk about that oh, we're okay. gonna wait and see how that but we, okay. we do we do mention that uh he's definitely unapologetic about it um and he's he, right. <laughs> he he writes he, he when he's wrong too, so it, it's yeah. good to see that humility out of out of a guy like T.J. Hushmanzada. So well, well, Spike King made sure he mentioned that right away. <laughs> that was like the first thing we did. And and for those that are unaware, you know, we'll talk about it in a little bit. But me and T.J. go back two years ago, so it was actually great for me that Stafford landed this because I was like, oh shit. I remember beefing with TJ Hushmanzada, but it was a friendly beef, just like the Nate Burleson thing. So it all came together, and that's how comfortable he is. And just what Stafford said, he's he's just real. He just says what it what he wants to say. And, uh, and again, when you listen to it and you understand it from his side, that's what we like about Boston's Big Three. When we ever have a guest that comes on here, we tell him, hey, we're not trying to trip you up to try to get a quote from you or anything like that. We're just a bunch of dudes or dudettes if we have somebody that else is on as a girl. Guys being dudes. Guys being dudes that were just shooting the shit, talking sports. And we want you to be real, and we want you to stick with what you have out there. And having that realness, when you turn it into a serious conversation of racism in America and racism in NFL, because even two years ago, and I'm going to say it before the interview, is that he was having racist comments when me and him were beefing and other people were coming in and chiming in on him two years ago. I wanted to bring that full circle into today. And it's just the because he was due to social media. So just to have that all together and him being real and giving you the real answers, that's what made this interview even if it's 27 minutes long, that's what made this the best interview possible because you want someone real like that that is a legitimate NFL player that played beside Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson, that hopefully he should have won a couple playoff games out there in Cincinnati. I, I, I have a trivia question before we, we go into this right now. So 
Uh, TJ Hushmanzada actually led the NFL in receptions one year, but he was tied. Tell me who the player he was tied with. This is the late 2000s, early 2010s. Wes Walker. Ding, ding, ding. Our baseball analyst gets it right (laughs) off the jump. Wow. I said said big brain mode. Fair fair enough, Babs. Damn, put you to shame. Uh, I know. No, but seriously, can I get like a communication title or something for for Ride the Wave Media? Like communication czar, director, whatever? Because I'm just, you know, putting these on. But seriously. Can I get a big brain title for knowing that? (laughs) Big brain title. No, you got the producer, dude. You got Ah. (laughs) TJ Huzmanzada. We're going right into it. One, two, three. Boom. All right, another episode of Boston's Big Three coming at you with a live interview again with Bengals legend TJ Hushmanzada. I mean, man, thank you. First of all, thank you for having us on the show here. Like, thank you. Appreciate it a lot. Uh, you played in the NFL for a very, very long time. You played a great career at Oregon State as well. Take me kind of the journey and how you kind of made your career in the NFL happen. Really, it's hard work, man. And it sounds so simple. But when you come in drafted where I was drafted at, it's uh, hard work. Got to have a bit of luck uh, along the way. Get with the right team that will put up with the BS of, especially with me being injured the first couple years and basically no production. Um, played a little bit, but my, my first couple years, my stats, those were all garbage time stats. It looks pretty decent, but those are all garbage stats. You know, we're getting our ass kicked at the end of the game. And so I was able to get in and play. But, yeah, man, I just I worked hard and a bit of luck along the way. No, I understand that completely. Uh, before we kind of get into your NFL career, kind of dive into the details of that, I kind of want to talk about your career at Oregon State with none other than my guy right over here, Chad Johnson. How was going to school with Chad Johnson? Going to college with Chad Johnson? It was, uh, for me, it was normal. You know, it, Chad was quiet, man, in college. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't do a lot of talking, man. Like, and people really? that, uh, yeah, people that, Played with us in college and actually got drafted to the Bengals. We had a guy named Dennis Weathersby and then a guy named uh, Terrell Roberts uh, that played with us at Oregon State. When they got the Cincy, they were like, what is Chad doing? Because he was really quiet in college. And he just, when we got to the league, he just, uh, maybe it could be he he wasn't at Oregon State long. And he didn't feel comfortable kind of being himself. And he just kind of transformed into somebody else once uh once we got the sense was he still on the mcdonald's diet back then too is he always pounding <laughs> big macs and fries and everything when we were in sensi yeah he ate mcdonald's quite frequently yeah I, that's one thing that has not changed he's always uh he would get hot cakes or he would get the uh the hamburger the the two big cheese- the two cheeseburgers but i think they were hamburgers Oh, okay. No pickles. And he was just, yeah, all the time. All the time. Like, that's one thing that hasn't changed. I'm surprised um, his cholesterol isn't sky high if he's eating all them damn french fries. No, that's authentic, though. That's just Chad right there. Uh, So you can drop it. That ain't changed one bit. That has not changed one bit. So you get drafted in the seventh round to the Cincinnati Bengals, a, a desperate organization, really. They have not been very good in really ever, even up to date now. Um, but you had a great run with Chad and uh, you know, your guy Carson Palmer. Kind of take me through that big three stage where you were kind of dominating the uh, AFC North. Man, you just really killed the Bengals, bro. Like, <laughs> goodness gracious. Uh, it, for us, it was fun. And Obviously, I'm biased. I, I thought me and Chad were the two best receivers on the team in the league. 
The only probably argument you can make would probably be Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne at the time. Uh, you probably could say Isaac Bruce and Torrey Hope. But as far as pure route running and getting open and not letting the offense scheme you open, um, what we did as far as being able – like our offense at Cincinnati, anybody that knows football, when you – we didn't go in motion. We didn't line and stack. We didn't – scheme you open if me and chad didn't get open our passing game did not work we didn't throw the ball to the tight end it was strictly myself chad chris henry um but we made that offense kind of go so to speak along with our offensive line and carson yeah no i really always think about that because obviously i was a little bit smaller i'm only 19 now so i wasn't really around to see you guys in your prime uh when i look back and i watched that tape i mean that offense was really explosive especially because you guys had that thunder and lightning type of thing with chad with the quick feet and you with the bigger body type physical receiver um and obviously chris henry in the slot before his unfortunate accident uh before we kind of move on to like the better parts of this uh interview kind of take me through the effect that chris henry's passing had on, on that team and organization it was uh, unfortunate, man. It was I had just left as a free agent to go to the Seahawks, but obviously playing years wooding, it, it was almost surreal. You you didn't want to believe it because he was just starting to turn his life around. And with you being nineteen, you'd probably have to do the research on how we were getting. When I say we, the Bengals, we were kind of the poster boys for uh, guys getting in trouble. We pretty much started it, so to speak. Uh, where Commissioner Goodell had to kind of lay down the law, so to speak, because guys just were off the field. We're just having problems, and Chris was one of those guys. And he started to turn his life around. He started doing things the right way. He started to realize, I got to grow up and be a man. And as soon as he starts doing that, he think I believe he broke his arm. He goes on IR. And he travels to Charlotte and has an unfortunate incident where he loses his life. It, it sucked, man, because he had the potential to be one of the best receivers to play. The big play potential, he was big. He can run. Caught the ball very easy. Uh, very unfortunate, man. It sucks. Yeah, no, it's terrible. And especially since you departed, like you said, to Seattle and got that bag. Like, he was in line to become that number two receiver behind uh, Ocho. So that was kind of just uh, obviously unfortunate and terrible uh, incident. Uh, back in the happier terms here. Um one thing I had to ask before we move on for anything, what's the weirdest way someone's trying to pronounce your last name? Because I've heard so many just ridiculous ways to try to spelling it and trying Honestly, to say man, it and everything. One thing, I've been dealing with this my whole life, and so I don't know. And it never bothers me because I know how my name is. And so it's never bothered me the craziest way. I don't know what's crazier unconventional because I've heard it my whole life. And so it's just like almost like water off a duck's back. It kind of is what it is. Right. No, I got you. I mean, like, yeah, to be fair, like you just said, it's a kind of a complicated last name. I mean, uh, it's long. It's just long. And it's a bunch yeah. of letters. But if you really sound it out and look at it, it's pretty easy. At least it is for me. <laughs> but yeah, it's just long as hell, man. No, I got you. I got you, man. Um, so going back to your playing days, you leave Cincy for Seattle. You get that bag, and you last, I believe, one season in Seattle, um, and then you go to Baltimore. And then uh, another painful memory here, but going back to Baltimore, 2010, the divisional round, it's fourth and 18. Joe Flacco throws you kind of a comeback route, and 
whatever happens, happens, and you guys end up losing the game. Take me through your mindset throughout that those last couple of minutes. You said this we're gonna be happy at times. <laughs> no, like I don't, I don't. That don't. That doesn't bother me one bit because I mean it is what it is. I can't go back and change it. It actually was all go. Um, we had run that play the play prior, and I couldn't get over the top of the DB, so I just stopped. And I came back to the huddle. I'm like, I'm wide open. Throw me the ball. And we ran the play again, and I was wide open again. Um, yeah, I just dropped the ball. Yeah. I mean, I was known as a receiver that caught the ball. And mm-hmm. so it happens. Like, when guys miss shots in basketball, they get to play another game. Or they get to take another shot. I mean, people don't realize, if you go back to that game, um, we're up by two touchdowns at halftime. And other guys on the team... We had dropped a touchdown the uh, drive before, and but my play is probably the biggest play because it was our last offensive play of that game. And so, in my opinion, is that the reason we lost the game? Yeah, it is because it's the last play. But we still would have had to score. Um, I'm mad enough; like I can deal with it because when I do well. I can deal with that as well. And so, exactly. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one that's going to run and hide. Like people can, I talk to people freely about it. I was upset when it happened. Like no bullshit, right? So my my daughters play sports, and uh, if, this is about four or five years ago. They would fuck up, and I would say something to them, and no lie, they would be like, "Oh, like you dropped that ball in a playoff game, <laughs> right?" And so, and I and I can take it though because that's just who I am. I'm not going to grin when I win and cry the, cry the blues when I lose. I got to take the good with the bad, and it is what it is. Do, did I want to drop the ball? Fuck no. If I had to do that again, I'd bet every dollar I got in the bank that i catch that ball. Right. But, uh, it's over with. I can't do anything about it. No, that's a good prerogative to have. Uh, so playing in Cincinnati, you play with guys like Carson Palmer, John Kenton, really established good NFL quarterbacks. Um and obviously, Cincinnati has a new quarterback, Joe Burrow. How do you find that fit in Cincinnati for the LSU product? It should be pretty good. Um, I was around Joe in the pre-draft uh, process, getting ready uh, with Jordan. Um, impressed, man. Like, dude works hard. Super, super, super accurate, man. Like, that's what shocked me when we're out there uh, throwing. Very rarely did he throw the ball behind you, not on the back. I mean, everything was right here in the chest. Um, so that that impressed me. And he has it's kind of weird. He has like this stern, uh, stern way about him to where he's going to fit in perfectly as a leader because he's going to have fun. But then he has this look and this sternness about how he carries himself. That guy, they're going to respect that. And TJ. so I expect him to do well. So, TJ. Just kind of going off of that, you're a West Coast guy, born in Cali. You went to Oregon State. You come to Cincinnati, Ohio. You're in the, you know, you're in the mid. You're in the middle of the country. And someone like Joe Burrow, who knows that he's going first overall, it's like, hey, you're going to Cincinnati. Tell me over time why you love Cincinnati. Give me a selling point of why you want to come play for Cincinnati. What about the city? What about the fans? I was just there for the Patriots game. I like Skyline Chili. Everyone says to go do that. The fans are pure fans out there as well, too. Just sell me Cincinnati and why it's a good place to play. I mean, honestly, this is kind of corny, but I, I can't even imagine any NFL city not being a great place to play. 
it's you get paid to play football. Like we played our entire life for free. That's number one. And then when you talk about the fans of it, every city has great fans, the teams and the organizations that win more, they have better fans because people want to come to the games like the team you guys enjoy to watch. Um, Patriot fans are crazy. They're lunatics. Um, but you would prefer that than not have it that way. I, me, I enjoyed my time in Cincinnati. The fans were fantastic. Um, every, everywhere I played, I enjoyed it. It just, you're an NFL player. You get to play every Sunday. And when you specifically talk Cincinnati, it's, those are my type of people. And so, like, I would go anywhere in Cincinnati and I could fit in. It didn't matter your nationality, your race, where you were from, because we had one common thing. I was an athlete and you enjoyed watching me play. And even if you didn't enjoy watching me play because I talked shit or you didn't like the way I carried myself, I'm cool with that as well. But you were watching. TJ, you played there for like eight years, and you kind of went around that question. You didn't even name anything good about Cincinnati. So I don't Whoa, know. <laughs> you say go start shit. Like, I don't I, – I, I never had yeah. go chili. I never had it a day in my life. I didn't eat that type of stuff. No, um, no, no. I, I just didn't but, figure uh, there's got to be something out of Cincinnati that you live there that sticks out that you make – that, like, makes you want to go back there, that you love about Cincinnati. Dude, I'm, I might be an anomaly. I don't know. But I rarely – I don't smoke. I've never smoked a day in my life. I'm an occasional drinker once or twice, maybe a year. During the football season, I would rarely, rarely, rarely drink. And so things that stuck out would be going out to eat, chilling with your teammates. Um, but as far as like the social life, dude, I was in the house, bro. I'm a homebody. Like I never was one to really go out and do this and do that and experience. And that was probably part of my problem like I didn't venture off into Kentucky and do things of that nature I just kind of it was all football for me continuing to craft your game for those that are unaware me and TJ had a little spat a couple years ago the New England Patriots were 11 and 5 they were heading into the 2018 (laughs) and you finally learned I think 2018 was your first year being an analyst out there and of course you got it I had just got on social media (laughs) <laughs> so I haven't been, I had, I was new to social. I, I believe I got on social media in 2017. Yep. And so I've always spoke my mind and I really felt like the Patriots had two good players and no disrespect, two good players that could get it done when it mattered. Everybody's good in the league. It was Brady and Edelman. And I didn't think that was enough. And I was proven wrong. Yeah. But and even I saw Julian Edelman this offseason. He was giving me shit about talking about him that year, talking about him last year. And I'm when I'm on TV, one thing I'll never do, I'll never make it personal with a player because I didn't like when people did that with me. And I'm just going to give my opinion. And the majority of the time, I'm going to be right. But the times that I am wrong, just like I said, when I dropped that ball, it kind of is what it is. I, I was wrong with that one. So, um, so, TJ, just kind of going off of that, um, same thing with me. I mean, I'm just all social media, and I put out a ton of hot takes, and I get slammed for it. But I want to go back kind of two years ago because you were new to social media. And 
how people take things personal. And I remember we were talking back then and how people would DM you or say some pretty shitty fucked up things to you. And I want to to take that and accelerate it to 2020. And you see that uh, the NFL is trying their best to help out with the African-American community, Black Lives Matter, and this is one of the hottest topics right now. And they're saying that before the NFL week one, they want to do lift every voice and sing. I want to tell you this. Lift every voice and sing. And I'm getting educated through this as well, too. I heard that. Awesome. We posted that on our YouTube because we wanted people to know what it, what the what the song is. And we kind of attached the NFL. It had over 3,000 downvotes. And you should see some of the comments from these keyboard warriors out there that want to go against it. You've lived it. You've been through this. And I want to hear your voice and your take on what's going on with racism in America and through the NFL as well, too. I mean, it, 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 number one, it's unfortunate. And, and nobody knows what it's like unless you're a black man to go through what we go through. I'm, I'm mixed, obviously, but I identify as black. I've never met my father. I don't even know that side of my family. So I've grown up as a black man my entire life. Um, I've been pro- I've been pulled over by the same police officer six or seven times in a week or two week span. The same guy. Like, bro, why the fuck you keep pulling me over? And it gets frustrating, but there's nothing you can do about it. You just deal with it. And you, prime example, I'll give you, I'm playing, I'm playing for the Bengals. And it was my second year, so I was playing. I was in the league. I go into, I was living in an apartment building. And to get in, you have to uh, put a little key fob up to open the gate. And we had just gotten home from a, a road game. So it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm in a parking lot. I parked my car i get out and i'm walking it was a woman a white woman and she's probably 20 yards ahead of me going into the same building she turns around and sees me literally runs to the thing pulls the door shut and i'm like what the fuck so as soon as i walked in i was like fuck you i'm not robbing you but she literally ran in and yanked the door shut and i didn't even see where she went because she kept running and that happens all the time. You get on the elevator. People will grab their purse. People will call you the N-word. That's just, you've, you've dealt with that your whole life. Um, so to see what's going on, we've been experiencing this our whole life. I'm glad that because of COVID-19 and we have no sports, we've been forced to focus on this. And hopefully real change happens. And it's not just words like playing the um, national anthem, the black. Na- I, I don't know. Like, I don't care about that. That's just me personally. I don't care about that. I want action. I, that That's hollow to me. Give me pertinent stuff. Give me stuff. Give me something solid. That's really going to make a difference and do it because it really matters to you. Not because you feel like you're pressured into doing this. That That's me. So, TJ, if you're running the league, then you're Roger Goodell, you're the owners, and you're allowed to do whatever you want. What do you think needs to be done for the change when it just comes to the NFL? One, racism is it's a learned behavior. I'm from California, born and raised here. And so there's racist people out here, but I've grown up with every race my entire life. Whites, Mexicans, Asians, Polynesians. And so we're a melting pot out here. But what needs to be done is when you have, you got to educate 
your non-black friends, your white friends about what goes on and so that they can see. And some of your friends, if they really are your friends, they probably experienced it with you before. And you're like, bro, it's like this all the time. And so if you can educate your non-black friends on what goes on, and that's why it's so big when you get the guys like Brady that are prominent athletes that have a voice and are white and come out and say something, now change can be made because you have guys that are non-black but have a platform that are rolling with you, so to speak, that can hopefully exact change. It's going to take some time, man. This shit is not going to change overnight. It's going to take time. But as long as the NFL is going to be an ally in this, and they think, oh, we'll just give money, and that's enough. Man, you, you got you got to put more than that into this. I'm just going to go before I – I just want – Stafford, before I get to you, because I just want to kind of do this. You know, it's about educating TJ and segregation was not too long ago and we're still educating. This is very powerful nowadays because now we're seeing more racism than ever. Now it's being recorded. It's being out there. And I just want to leave it on this before I toss it over to Joe. Robert Kraft is somebody and this is me going against the Patriots here is someone that donated a million dollars to Donald Trump. But yet. He'll donate to 10 players $100,000. You're just kind of just washing it. You're not really making a change. And, and, and that's to me to say, dude, you need to do a little bit more. And I know the New England Patriots, just using them again, are trying to take chats and they're trying to talk about this within their team. And I think what you just said there hits it. It's about educating each other. And, and it's going to take a long time. But it's got to start somewhere. And we have to have these uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations going forward. And, and – whether you like it or not, this is the reality of our world right now. We need to fix this. Joe, you can toss it to you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, TJ, going back to what you were talking about earlier about how the NFL needs to do more. It's a starting point, but it's not going to change overnight. Uh, we actually had a, a cool interaction with Terrell Owens a couple days ago. So I actually made a, 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 like a mixtape for him. He liked it. He commented on it. And it was kind of shocking what he said. Uh, and I quote from Terrell Owens, Ask the writers and committee of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, hashtag system, systematic racism. 80 to 85% of columnists, reporters, and editors are white, hashtag facts. Do you kind of agree with that narrative and kind of how, like, how deep does this institutional racism go in the National Football League? I mean, it's <laughs> the, the crazy part is we have a tendency, and we're talking, when I say we, like the majority of the reporters are white, but they get that position because people feel comfortable hiring people that look like them. Um, hence, there's really not many um, African-American coaches, majority of players. They're hiring more women now than they are African-American coaches. And so it, it, it's – T.O. has a point in that these reporters get jobs. They get hired from somebody, and they get hired by somebody that looks like them. And because that, that's just a comfort level that they have. And so that has to change. And it's going to take time to be comfortable with hiring somebody that doesn't look like you, that doesn't talk like you, that didn't come from the same background as you, but can do the job just as effective or if not better than you. And, and so until that happens, we're going to be in the same cycle. And we, we've seen this, man. And it's now that you said when I. I could probably only remember just in the Bengals locker room, maybe seeing one or two black reporters um, on, the, on the constant. That, that was it. And on average, you, you'd probably see 10, 10 whites, one or two blacks, max. 
But for the most part, that that, that would be it. So T.O., he, he does have a point, but it goes back to you can't tell somebody who to hire. I, I, I don't believe that. But people are going to hire who they feel comfortable with, who they relate to. And until that changes, this is not going to change the situation. Right. So jumping off that, then, what you just said, I think it kind of applies to the NFL rules that were just kind of instated here. What are your thoughts on the Rooney rule and kind of how they try to uh, kind of add on to it with an additional third round draft pick if you if you hire a black coach? I didn't really like that. I didn't I didn't like uh, incentivizing. Oh, you hire a black coach, we'll give you an extra draft. I didn't like that because it's almost like, oh, they only hired him so they can get an extra third round pick. Hire him off of his merits and his ability to be a great football coach. That, that's what I would prefer. I, I don't want you to hire me because, oh, we're going to give you this for hiring that. No, let him earn it. Let him deserve to be given that role. But the sad part is something has to happen because there's no way we can play the game at a high level and you tell me we can't coach it. And this sounds very, very... Uh, arrogant but there's very few coaches that i played for that knew more than me about the game of football and there's a there there's a lot that did but there's there's quite a few that did not and you're sitting here like what the fuck are they talking about and and so that goes on a lot i'm not the only player and i'm not the smartest player there's a there's guys way smarter than me that know exactly what i'm talking about like they're smarter than their coaches and those coaches weren't black. And he's in his position. Why? Because his friend had a job for him or a spot open. And he gave him a job or your dad hired me. So now I'm going to hire you. You're his grandson. Like it's a lot of nepotism, man. And so it, that, that has to change. But it's, it's going to take a long time, man. Right. Uh, before we kind of wrap up here, I do want to get your thoughts on coming close to our heart. Uh our beloved hero, Tom Brady, obviously departed for Tampa Bay in the offseason. What are your thoughts on Tampa Bay coming uh, to 2020? Brady's my God, man. Before he left, nobody knows this. Before he left New England, man, Brady sent me a jersey. I got it in the crib, bro. Sent me a signed jersey, man. Brady, like, I've been knowing Brady uh, forever, man. Alex Guerrero worked on me when I was 17, 18 years old. And so... um. I've been knowing Brady forever. When I was playing, I would train with him in uh, West at UCLA. So I, I think the world of Tom, Tom's a hell of a person, a greater, uh, he's a great football player, a better person. And so I always root for Tom. That's why when I had a pick against New England, I didn't like that. But I'm, I'm a fan of Brady. I think he's going to do great things in Tampa, um, immediately makes them a contender. But on your team, it's going to be, I'm a fan of Jared Stidham as well. I've worked out with him. Um, I'm a fan of him, but man, you get Cam Newton with that chip on his shoulder. Damn. Just when you think the Patriots are about to go downhill, here they go again. <laughs> so, uh, real quick, do you think that Cam Newton has enough time to pick up a playbook and enough time to become the starter for a week one? If uh, well, he comes to New England, they sign him June 29th and you think he has enough time. To universal, take- man. Football is universal. And what I mean by that is, all right, let's go. You guys would have a play that's called Chad Johnson for New England. The Bengals might call that play Ty Law. It's the same damn play. It's just a different name. And it will probably take him a while to kind of get out of the the Carolina Panther lingo and how he did things. But 
if he ever falls into trouble, he could always say, ah, we call that Panther in Carolina. They call that Boston in New England. These are the same plays. So he can figure it out that way. But, yeah, he'll be fine, man. Football is universal, bro. He'll be fine. 100%. TJ, I want to thank you for joining Boston's Big Three today, and uh, hope we see you soon. Man, that shit went fast, man. Anytime I got you guys, man. All right, sounds good. Absolutely. I'll take care, bro. You too. And that was TJ Huzmanzada. Awesome. We are very thankful, and hopefully we have him on next time. Stafford, one of the things that I noticed about TJ when we were talking to him, I said, hey, you've been on this team for eight years in Cincinnati, and you go to Joe Burrow. What are you selling to Joe Burrow about the city of Cincinnati? He gave the response of, well, you know, you're very lucky and fortunate to play in NFL. It'd be great to play in any NFL city. This guy went all the way around. He pretty much said Cincinnati sucks. He never he never gave one good thing about Cincinnati. And then when I put him on the spot, he's like, well, they got good restaurants, but I don't like to party. I don't like to drink, and that's good, and I understand that. He never said one good thing. He never gave me a good place to go to. He never put you out to a good, agri- you know, like just somewhere to go to a museum or like, hey, this is a view of a city. Cincinnati truly sucks, and I think that you got that out of him, Stafford, too. But you I mean, kept saying, oh, well, Stafford was like, oh, well, 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 later on, we're going to be nice to you. But first, let me just jab this knife into your heart about Cincinnati. But no, let me just do it one more time. And then let me do it just one more time. You know, you kept getting at him every single time. Hey, you had to ask the hard questions to get the good content. That's mm. all I know. I'm just saying. But again, like you just said, thanks to TJ. But Cincinnati, you know, like it's hard to defend. Like you're, you're in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. Like there's not much to do anyway. It's just not like a popular place to you're be. You're not even in like and, the best city in the state. <laughs> exactly. And not to mention, like like he said earlier in the interview, like he doesn't drink that much. He doesn't smoke at all. So it's hard for him to kind of give us like the lowdown on the, on the, the nightlife for a kid who's 21 going in the NFL as a star quarterback. What it's nightlife in population. Cincinnati? What nightlife do they even have? I think that's what he was getting to the point. It was like, dude, everyone's in bed by 8 p.m. out there. I had to not drink. I just can't go out. It's like, what's the point of doing that? I liked that the McDonald's question with Chad Ochocinco. And this guy, does he eat McDonald's back in Oregon State? And he's like, I'm worried about his cholesterol. And we also know... <laughs> That Chad Johnson does not like pickles on his sandwiches, so it's just he, it's he, just, he gets, me neither. No, he he gets his hotcakes and his double hamburger. That's his go-to order. So that's a ride the wave exclusive too. What's what's your go-to McDonald's order, fellas? Oh, that's a good one. I'm gonna go with a quarter pounder with cheese, okay. uh, large fry, and that's it. Yeah. Oh, a four-piece chicken nugget. Let's spice it up. Ah, yeah. Well, Bre- well, Brendan, me, me, you, and Tyler went on this about the best burger. And what did I say? The quarter pounder with cheese smacks every consistent. single time. Very McDonald's consistent. McDonald's is consistent. Every consistent. single time. Can't deny it. Okay, I will so say it's the best, but I'll say it's consistent. Since Stafford said nuggets, where's the best nuggets to get to? Where do you have to go for nuggets oh. when it comes to fast food? Oh, Ch- Chick-fil-A's got these spicy chicken nuggets now. Yo, hold up, hold up. Game changer. But Chick-fil-A is kind of like high-end fast food. It's like five guys, like kind of a different category, it's still right? fast food, though. Right, I'm saying like Wendy's Spicy Nuggets, they're pretty good. Good. That's, I got to say, like they're pretty good. Really Wendy's hard sweet to mess and sour. nuggets. The sweet and sour for Wendy's, you can never top mm. something like that. Mm. That's true. Guys, Cam Newton is officially a New England Patriot. He's officially wearing number one. I... On the other hand, I'm going the opposite way, and I always do this. I am saying that Jared Stidham will start week one. Now, we've gone on this. 
we've gone on this numerous times, and we say this is a win-win situation, no matter which way you look at it. Cam Newton's here. He's going to be pushing for a starting job, and if he gets that starting job, which he probably should, this puts the Pats in a very good spot for this year. I look at it on the opposite end. I think Jarrett Stidham is uh, getting kicked to the curb, and he doesn't deserve it. And I feel that the Patriots fans out there, the casual Patriots fans, the same ones that said they're going 4-12, and they're going 5-11, all of a sudden they get Cam Newton. Well, they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Guys, Jared Stidham in March was at Gillette Stadium working with David Andrews, working on the field. He has been working with Julian Edelman. They did not draft a quarterback because they believed in Stidham. You can put your conspiracy theories and say, well, they've been talking to Cam Newton the entire time. No, I don't believe any of that. Maybe they've been talking to him since the beginning of June and said, hey, we're going to sign you at the end of the month if things look right. But it never meant that Cam Newton was a starter. Cam Newton was not signed or not officially a New England Patriot, and I'll give him a couple extra days until June 25th, until that weekend going into there where he kind of knew that he was being signed and everything needed to be finalized. I still think it's Cam versus Tom. I don't think that there's enough time for Cam Newton to catch up. Yes, we see the highlights with Sanu, and that's today or the other day, whatever day you watch this, that he was working out with Nikhil Harry. But Stidham has enough experience with the entire team around him that I think Jared Stidham starts week one. And Brendan and Joe, you're cutting those first two week, uh, the first week and the last week off. You're cutting two weeks off the preseason. And you know Stidham's still getting 50% of the snaps. The way I look at it, throw Stidham to the Wolves. Let him go out there first, and Cam Newton's your insurance policy. You have the best backup in the league, as Joe Stafford said on the previous podcast. Let Stidham go out there. Let's see what he has because he knows the team around him. And if he doesn't have it and fails, that's not a fail. You can just bench him, and he can learn from that, and you'll put him out there next year. Cam Newton gets another couple weeks with the team around him, with practices around him, with traveling around him as well, too, and gets that Patriot way. Then he can become a starter. I just think that Jared Stedham starts week one and Cam Newton, if he starts, will start week three if Stedham fucks up. So I, it's, I think it's opposite of that. I also, have, I also have one question for you, Babs. Go ahead. If the team believes in Jared Stedham, why bring in Cam Newton? Because Cam Newton was not signed by any other team. This is the cheapest contract. This is throwing a dart on the board. This is like bringing in a Reggie Wayne or a Chad Ochocinco or any other of these contracts that they've had in the past. Tim Tebow's that they're just like, hey, let's just see what we have out of it. Let's see what goes on. I thought today's incentive contract that just came out was eye-opening. It wasn't sexy at all. I thought that, oh, if this guy's going to make up to $7.5 million, it must be for certain statistical reasons. No, it's just playing time percentages. He just gets fifty grand just to suit up every single game. I feel that this guy... And his incentives, it's not, it's nothing. I feel like Bill Belichick goes to Cam Newton and goes, look, you're our backup. Jared Stidham's our guy. No one else is giving you a chance. We're bringing you in here. We're going to sign you for half a mil. You're going to push our quarterback to become the starter. You're also going to showcase yourself to everybody out there. Because guess what everyone's doing right now? Everyone's talking about Cam Newton. All the media is talking about Cam Newton. The New England Patriots fan base is talking about Cam Newton. If Cam Newton looks good in training camp and in preseason, maybe a team that needs a quarterback right away might be calling up Bill Belichick. Hey, how much is it going to cost for Cam Newton? You got him for super cheap. We get that contract. Look at his contract. They get that contract. Another team makes out for that. And Belichick, who just lost a third rounder, might get a second rounder. 
off of Cam Newton. If someone's hurting, if some team is hurting like that, that's the way I look at it. Belichick is just looking at this, and it's, it's so many different ways it can go, but that's the way I looked at it. I want you to come in here. I want you to push this young kid. Hey, you never know. You might get the starting job. We might give it to you. Chances are low. You have to earn it. If you don't earn it, you'll be starting somewhere else. You'll be doing that. And, and I do believe if Jared Stidham does win this job, he absolutely deserves it. No knock to Cam Newton. It's a let's build confidence, Stidham. Let's build confidence in the fan base. This guy beat out the former MVP. Everyone's living in the past from five years ago, 2015 MVP. I know Cam Newton's played in 125 games, but that was, you know, he's not the same guy as he once was. I'm not saying that he's awful. I'm not saying that he's not going to be the same guy. He's still young. He's still fresh. He's hungrier than ever. We've seen it. But Jared Stidham, this is the confidence booster. This is Bill Belichick playing mind games with everybody. And just think about this. The media, the fan pace, Cam Newton, your starter, Bill Belichick always goes the opposite. Okay. All right. You got some oxygen left or are we, uh, no, oh, I, yeah. can, I can continue going <laughs> if you want me to. No, okay. No, but, uh, for real though, I agree with certain aspects of what you said. I think a lot of it makes sense. I mentioned it last week on the podcast about the Teddy Bridgewater effect that they had in the Jets. You mentioned that they might be looking to trade a few forms in the preseason. It's the same thing the Jets did. They picked up an extra third rounder. It's plausible. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's plausible. Uh, one aspect of this, uh, you know, system is going on right now, the battle between Stidham and Cam Newton. One thing that nobody's talking about is David Andrews. So Stidham didn't play with David Andrews at all last year. He obviously Andrews was out with a, with a terrible blood clot injury. Consistency with your center is probably one of the top things to master as an NFL quarterback. Cause if you can't get the snaps down, you're not getting the playoff in time. Andrews has not worked with Cam Newton and has not worked with Jared Stidham. So on that front, they're on even ground. That's a very important facet of this offense. And center is so important that when they lost David Andrews, Ted Karras, even though he's been on the Patriots, had to quickly catch up with Tom Brady. And he still struggled right away with Tom Brady to get that going right there. Yeah, 100%. That just like highlights the importance of that position on the, on the on NFL offensive line. It's the anchor of that line. When it comes to Stidham versus Cam... I don't think Belichick goes to Cam and says, hey, you're automatically the backup. That's not how Belichick operates. Belichick, no matter what position, I don't care who you are, I don't care what position you're playing, it's always an open competition. The best player available will win this job. I just happen to believe that it's a 50-50 right now. Do I believe Cam Newton's healthy? Absolutely. I think Cam is a very healthy individual right now based on everything, every indicator you have right now, he's healthy. Based on what he's put on Instagram, maybe a different story. Uh, Julian, he actually tweeted at Julian Edelman, this shit's like calculus when he was studying the, the uh, Patriots playbook. Obviously, we talked about TJ Hushmanzada, talked about it earlier. Football universal. It's just like the contingencies on the different languages kind of changes, but it's the same effect. Obviously, Patriots have a different system. A much different system than Carolina has. Much more complicated. requires the receivers to be smarter. And it's not as simple. But I think Kimden picks up the offense just as simple as Jerry Stedham will this upcoming season. It's going to be a battle no matter what. I'm excited to just watch it unfold. Now, before we get into you, Brendan, I know you might want to say something. You said this is the importance of your center and your quarterback. And let mm -hmm. me just tell you guys something. It's not really inside information. If you do a little digging, it's there. David Andrews' wife, Mackenzie Andrews, is best friends with Jared Stidham's wife. Them two and that couple together have been hanging out for the last year. Even when David Andrews is out, all of last year, those four were always together. 
those group, that group was always together. They're building that chemistry all together. Belichick, I know, doesn't care. He's like, David, you're getting ready with Cam. Doesn't matter. But that chemistry was there. And I think the fact that Julian Edelman even spent the extra time with Stidham. And you know that, yes, wow, what a highlight reel. Nikhil Herring, Cam Newton. You know those guys were doing that all last year, right? You know those guys came from the same rookie class, right? You know that Stidham has been working with Jacoby Myers, right? And that's the problem that I see with the fan base is that they're just saying, Stidham, kick him to the curb. It's like he hasn't practiced against the best defense of the league all year last year in practice, where that defense, the McCordys and everything, were, 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 were pumping his tires, as Tim Thomas would say, and saying, hey, this guy, he's good. He's something right there. No, they, I want to say— they, I mean, you have Devin McCourty commenting and gushing about his ability on the field. Like, he was a great practice squad guy for them, playing, like, pretending to be the other quarterback. He was a great scout team guy. But at the same time, Babs, you have to look at the Twitter reaction when we signed Cam Newton. How many Patriot players reacted with crazy eyes or heat emojis or whatever what have you, right? There's a reason why they're excited for this guy. That's not to take anything from Stidham. It might be Belichick-oriented. Who He might just tell people to tweet random shit out to get him angry. <laughs> like, we don't know. But at the end of the day, it's still an indicator that they are excited for Cam Newton for a reason. No, That's we my, are because that... we're living oh, – sorry, Brenda, but we're living on we're living on what he once was in the possibility of what yep. it could be. Go ahead. That's, that's my take on it. I don't steal your thunder. I am an average football fan. Like I am, you, everyone knows I am a bigger Sox fan than I am a Patriots fan every day of the year, even during the Super Bowl. But Jared Stidham does not get me excited for the Patriots season. I see it. I see that we get Cam Newton. That's exciting because I I've seen what Cam Newton's been able to do in the past. I've seen him win an MVP. I've seen him not dive on a football in the Super Bowl. I've seen Jared Stidham throw a few interceptions. I've seen him in the preseason games. That's all I know about Jared Stidham. I'm not a guy that's going out and like looking at all his Auburn tape and like, "Wow, this is what this guy can do." If if someone's running a curl route, Jared Stidham's got him. I just see what Cam Newton's been able to do over the last while he was healthy yeah, during well, his NFL Yeah, well, good thing career. we have the most so boring coach in the NFL, so exactly. you're not really looking for exciting. <laughs> I want to it's say a, it's this. an exciting name because because there's name recognition with it, and I think that's what got right. players excited too. While we were talking during all this too, I'm looking at every team in the NFL, just seeing the names out there, and just kind of putting it back to what I was saying earlier about Cam Newton's the backup, or Cam Newton showcases his abilities and another team picks him up. There's one team that sticks out to me that Chicago. Could be a, no, there's Damn. one team that sticks that sticks out to me. You already had your chance that I think that Cam Newton could be a perfect fit, that he gets the limelight, you name it, Stafford. See, there's, there's a few teams that I think, uh, barring The Los Angeles Chargers. The Los Angeles Chargers brought in Justin Herbert, and I don't think that Justin Herbert should start right away, especially with the COVID situation going on. Do you think they're going to go with Tyrod Taylor? Do you think they're going to look at Cam Newton and say, wow, we could have Cam Newton in L.A. for a very cheap contract, Cam Newton loves that limelight, loves a spotlight. It's L.A. Guess where they're going into? A new stadium. Cam Newton can bring some excitement into that team over there. I, I, just see, I just see that that could be the one team that reaches out to Belichick, if that was possible, that says, hey, we want to do something to get Cam Newton. Right. So the only reason I say no to that is because they had all offseason to sign him. They flirted with it for about a month and a half, and they decided not to do it. Like I said in previous times, I'm consistent with my take on the Chargers, right? Tyrod's going to start the first four or five games, flare out, and Herbert will be the guy just like it happened in Cleveland. There's no reason to trade for Cam Newton if you're already 0-5. There's not, there's not a reason for it. But Belichick has molded the perfect contract 
to be like. I understand that, have, but if you're if you're you Anthony have Lynn, what's Cam the point? Newton for this, you can have. I I did all of. I beat all of your team to say you can. Have, but give me a second rounder. I no, want a second round. I understand I what you're saying, second. but at the same time, like the, if you're Anthony Lynn, like what's the point? If you're really that terrible with Tyrod Taylor in one of the most competitive divisions in football, you have Kansas City, Denver, L, uh, Las Vegas, and now the Chargers. Like, if you're already in a terrible losing record, especially if you lose a couple of division games early on, there's no point. Like, there really is not a point of just wasting a draft pick on a one-year rental. I'm sorry, there's not. But I, I'll throw a scenario out there for you here. Maybe moving down the road a little bit, uh, maybe going a little bit more east. How about the Las Vegas Raiders? I mean, Derek Carr is, has been, you know, consistent if not underwhelming for most of his NFL career. He was obviously an NFL MVP candidate before he you know, broke his fibula. That was a terrible injury. Um, but you know, last year, a lot of people were saying, like, this is like the make or break year for Derek Carr. Say he struggles very early on, but the team is doing well, or say he gets injured. You're t- who else but John Gruden pulling the trigger trying to get Cam Newton? Imagine, <laughs> imagine Chucky and Superman in Las Vegas. Like how would that even? Like, how would it work? I don't know. You're playing in the Death Star in the in the desert with Cam Newton. That works for me. So, they have Marcus Mariota, and they have yeah. Nathan Peterman. Wow. But what makes me laugh about that, Stafford, is that let's say Derek Carr goes down at training camp, and they need a quarterback. You know who the Raiders played week one? They play at Carolina. So what a storyline that would be, right? You have that Cam would be crazy. And goes right against Carolina. But I think, again, Cam Newton is back in the limelight. Cam Newton's feeling the love all around, and he deserves it. Cam Newton was down and out, and Cam Newton at one point pulled almost the Andrew Luck and said, I don't love football anymore. I don't think it's for me. Because he's been beaten down over these years. He's been given a second chance. The Patriots are giving him the second chance. I just feel deep down inside in this big, fat gut right here that it's not the Patriots that give him the second Second chance is going to be another team. The Patriots are just putting them in the limelight, putting them in the media spotlight. There's nothing else to talk about the Patriots other than Cam Newton. You know what though? You know what though? It's still a great jersey to have. Like really, you're never oh, going to yeah, forget absolutely. the time Cam Newton was on the New England Patriots. Same thing with Antonio Brown. You own like one of like six jerseys ever that Antonio Brown was made for the Patriots. <laughs> and so. Antonio Brown owns the other five. <laughs> I, 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 and again, disclaimer: I'm not shitting on Cam Newton. I hope Cam Newton stays. There's, there's something more to it we haven't seen yet, and I hope he becomes a starter. I just, it's very unprecedented that someone comes in at June 29th, and or even mid-June, and says, hey, you're the quarterback for the New England Patriots. Hey, you're the quarterback for one of the top teams when it doesn't come down to an injury, when it has nothing to do with an injury. If they truly didn't believe in Stidham, why are they waiting this late? But again, this has been one of the wackiest off-seasons, and another disclaimer, there might not be a week one in September. They might even push this back. The NFLPA and the owners are fighting right now over money. They are trying to do what baseball, what happened with baseball. Players don't are do, saying, don't, whatever, don't do what baseball did. Baseball players, players are saying if we play one single game, one single snap, one single down, we deserve all our contracts fully guaranteed for the entire season. And that's scaring owners because even the owners know what's going to happen in November, what's going to happen in December, yeah, and what's going to happen in Like, I don't understand why these players get this sense of entitlement. You're playing one snap and you want your whole contract? Dude, do your job. You literally signed a contract. I'm going to play all 16 games. So play all 16 games. That's why I hate the whole holdout nonsense and all that stuff. You literally signed up. So do your job. You have a duty and responsibility, a legal responsibility to do your job, and you're not doing it. Our interview was cut short from TJ Husmanjada. I asked him that before we went on, and I wanted 
to ask him that on the podcast. He said, these guys deserve to get fully paid the second they're out there. Oh my God. They're putting their bodies on the line. They're doing all these practices. He was all, he was all about them. Getting yeah. And the owners are giving up millions and millions of dollars. So it works out. I want to go a little basketball route real quick. as we end the show. Enos Cantor, Boston Celtics. They just Anus? traveled down. Enos, Enos Cantor has uh, gone down with the Boston Celtics down to Orlando. They're in their little bubble right now. I still don't think it's going to work out. I wasn't, I wasn't pleased by uh, Cantor's Instagram post the other day. He posted in his room, oh, this is what I got to live in for the next three months. And you know what? I was, I was pissed off he did that. Now, I get that Cantor is a great guy. And he's really down to earth. And we've met him. And that he's helping his homeland and Turkey and, and all this. Dude, you're getting paid millions of dollars. There are people that can't afford rent right now, and you're complaining that I have to live in a hotel for the next three months when everything's handed to you, everything's catered to you, and you're making millions of dollars. Yet it's it's a bad thing that you have to sweet sleep on a queen size bed. You have your own bathroom there, and you're in a little tiny room with uh with not a good view. Come on, you know I I don't. These guys are always used to going to the W, going to the Ritz. I understand that. But it's three months that you're in that one room and you're still getting to play basketball and you're still going to be out there on the media where everyone's watching you and still making your millions of dollars. To me, I was like, I don't like that. I do not like that one bit that he went that route. Yeah, so I was thinking about this the other day. I heard I was talking to the 98.5 The Sports about it and they made a great point. Um, once this bubble bursts, everyone and their mother's infected. And that's like that's just a, that's a guarantee. When whereas in baseball, obviously they handled it very poorly with the entire labor dispute and trying to split the union, the strongest union in all four sports. Um, but they're not in a bubble, so if maybe one team gets a severe case of corona, a few players get it. The rest of the MLB is fine. They play the rest of their games. But as soon as one player in the M- NBA bubble mm-hmm. gets it, the entire league's over. And and, and that's goodbye, what's good about goodbye sponsorships, goodbye money, yeah. goodbye everything. You wasted all this time planning and conserving for absolutely nothing. That's what's good about baseball schedule because teams are only going to be seeing a total of nine teams. So, and that and whereas basketball, they're going to be seeing literally all twenty-two teams that are down there, basically. Yeah. And it just highlights the ridiculous social distancing policy stuff that's been put into place. Yes, I understand the leagues are trying to cover their arts and protect their players. But when you see something like the NFL put out today when they said there's going to be no post-game interactions, you can't do jersey swats, you be six feet away from everybody. Dude, you're literally coughing on a dude's mouth while you're tackling him. You're telling me they can't do a jersey swap after the game. What's the difference? If you have it, you're going to have it, regardless of what circumstance you have after the game. It's just how it works. It's football. It's a contact sport. You are physically close. You are in close proximity to everyone around you. There's spit. There's snot. There's swearing. There's blood. There's tears. There's everything that could spread this thing. So either you shouldn't have a season or you should just be back to normal. That's how I'm going to put it. Yeah, baseball is the social distancing of sports. And it actually makes me very interested now that you said that. If an outbreak happens with the Yankees... Oh, sorry, your season's over. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> too, too bad. Houston Astros, oh, sorry, it's over. It actually makes it a very interesting case, and it might keep them going. They'll do anything it takes, but the NFL, like, they're on top of each other. Hockey, they're on top of each other. I think hockey's going to be fine because no one gives a shit, but I also think that no one has in hockey a big name been like, I'm not going up there to Canada. They all want to be in on it. Uh, when it comes to basketball, They've had the bubble thing. They've been the most optimistic. They've had the whole 2K, like we're going to be doing the, be in the 2K world here. It's not going to work out. And 
just irked me that Cantor would do something like that. I mean, don't complain about that. You're, you're going down there. It's going to be interesting with Hayward, too. I was talking to GRD about this, about him leaving for his firstborn and then trying to come back. And it, it only affects it if the Celtics go to the Eastern Conference Finals. But Hayward has a player option at the end of the year. I was saying, what if the Celtics win the championship and they didn't even need Hayward? Do you even you do you even have him coming forward? Should Hayward, if he's on fire, stay with the Celtics and not go back home? It's kind of like Jason Tatum's thing. He's like, I have a two-year-old. I don't want to leave him for like eight months or whatever it ends up being because remember they're transitioning into another season yeah. after this as well too. I don't. I don't. I. That's a good point about Hayward. It's also his fourth-born kid. Not as a it's not his first son, first it's son, son. first first go. son. That's what I yeah. meant. <laughs> uh, but if Hayward opts out, I I think I think it will be important for Hayward to opt out at the end of the season because when when he did sign with Boston, he was signing to be the best player, if not the second best player, on the team with Kyrie Irving. Um, so I if he's resigned now, he would be at best third best behind Campbell Walker and Jason Tatum. So, but you, but you know what, Daddy's always happy. Now he Daddy's has a son, so maybe happy. he's in a good mood when it comes to renegotiating. We'll Stafford, give us your final thoughts for today. Final thoughts. One more time, thank you so much to TJ Hushmanzada for coming on. I feel like he actually might be a regular on this show, fingers crossed. Seemed like he had a great time. Uh, you know, going back to my last point about the social distancing policy the NFL just put out, guys, it's not going to work. Like, I'm sorry, it's not going to work. Like, you can either have the season as normal and just deal with the COVID outbreak as it comes to you, or you can pretend like you're trying to cover your players' safety when it doesn't matter in reality because you're on top of them anyway. It's not going to matter about post-game jersey swaps or, you know, media members coming on the field because it's going to happen regardless of how way you slice and dice it. That's all I'm going to say. Just tackle them from six feet away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brendan, what's hobby? Your final thoughts? Another thing about the NFL I'm excited for Cam Newton being on the Patriots, but his signature, giving the ball to a, a kid after he scores a touchdown, we're not going to see it because of the whole, the first few rows of seats being closed. So even if there's fans there, what's Cam going to do with the football? That's that's the storyline I want to see. <laughs> uh, my final thought is one year ago, today is July 9th when we're filming this, one year ago I was out on the Vegas Strip dressed as a taco and we did the Taco Tuesday, the birth of taco costumes for the Boston Celtics generated from Ride the Wave Media. Never forget that one year ago. Shout out Dog for forcing us to do that. And it's crazy one year after that no one's – and I have a buddy that's out in Vegas. There's nobody out there. COVID has just ruined everything in terms of being able to go out, being able to have fun. Brendan, I'm excited, and you sold me about baseball because I'm excited for the Red Sox opening day. Because you bet that's your all, ass. That's all you, you got to be excited ass, for. I will be down on Lansdowne Street. I got to think of a funky costume or I got to think of a funky plan and just get out there. You need, I might go in my hazmat suits again. I might it, do something. Put a bunch of PVC pipes and put like a, a mirror or something on the end and try to stick it up over the green monster and see if you can get a look in. That, <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> We might get a human tower of everyone on top. Oh, a human Just pyramid. Pile let's, on. Try to, let's try to get on. I, I, I love that. It, you know what? Uh, it makes me think of Wrigley Field real quick and how they have those uh, seats uh, oh, on those yeah. buildings. I wonder if there's going to be people on those buildings as they're looking in. People just sit on top of the Sitco sign in uh, Kenmore Square. <laughs> I just know that you just gave me an idea. <laughs> and I'm going to go look at it. It's like Keenan and Kel. You know what? I think I'm going to go do this. Oh, <laughs> here it goes. All right. 
That's been episode 65, Boston's Big Three, presented by Ride the Wave. Today is sponsored by Skyline Chili. We appreciate TJ. Thank you, Brendan, for coming out. Well, look at that hair. You got, you got some hair it's, going on. So that's some something. flow. You got something, something happening. Joe Stafford, myself, Brendan Watabi. We'll catch you guys later.